Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, CEO and co-founder of We Aspire. Today on the show, we've got a very special guest, Dr. Nick Fleming. He has an incredible career in engineering and has led global international roles in this space. He's an author and runs his own consulting firm, Energize. It's a pleasure to have Nick here. And today we're gonna get into some really juicy topics. We'll talk about the big L and the little L of leadership. What's the difference? We're gonna dive into questions and the importance of these as a leader and how you can use these to leverage your influence in any situation of leadership. We'll also talk about the evolving focus of leaders as you go up in your career, what to focus on and when. Thanks so much for being here today, Nick. It's a pleasure to have you. Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, CEO and founder of We Aspire. And I'm super excited to welcome Nick to the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here, Nick. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. And you are someone who I think is a real inspiring hero in engineering for me. I think the way that you talk about the future of the profession, what's possible is is inspiring for me. And I really, you know, I feel like a beacon of light in our industry. And you've had so many different roles from being on boards to global leaders of large organizations in engineering. Is leadership something that you aspired to or did it kind of happen along the way in your career? Look, it's a really interesting question. I have to say one of the reasons I love actually having these conversations is it causes you to reflect. And I was thinking about this and thinking, well, did when did I ever say, you know, I'm, I want to be a leader? And I think actually for me it was more innate as a function of my sort of core values and drivers. So I'm somebody who really aspires to excellence or improvement and, and also making a contribution. I think that's probably an aspect that came through my family life too, just seeing you know my father and people around me making a contribution. And so I think it's when you aspire to improve and to make a contribution, I think in some ways you sort of find yourself at times being in a leadership type role. And I think that just breeds on itself. Awesome. And if you think back to your, the very first time you were a leader, was it a formal role or an informal role? And what was that first time leader experience? Like it was maybe it was at school rather than in your career, but do, do you recall when that was and what was it like? Um, there probably were times through school, but I certainly, th- I think about younger people these days and I think there's a lot more really overt leadership discussion and opportunities. I mean, I actually went to one of the best of the worst schools in Adelaide. So, you know, I've come from a very sort of humble um, background. Um, but probably it was more actually even in university. We used, we, at that stage, you know, we were always at university. We weren't doing hybrid learning um, and you had project teams and there was always a lot of opportunities probably to step up in and, and lead in different capacities. And, that, and they were really valuable learning experiences because you're working very much with your peers. You know, there wasn't a, a, a structural power difference there you were working with your peers and so you had to work out how do we get a team of people working effectively together and we're speaking before we hit record around those different things that you need at different levels so leading in a global role with a huge you know team and a big organization is very different from those first time you know roles and you know can you tell us a bit about how do you think about those different stages of developing as a leader from the beginning all the way up to you know what are the, the skill you know skills you need at the beginning versus you know in those really big roles that you've had or even on boards 
Yeah. So, look, I think that's a really important question, and it's because so much of the leadership literature, and if you Google leadership, you find all of these articles, and they, you know, here's the ten things leaders do, and and I actually think it's a really false or unhelpful type of discussion because first and foremost, we're people, and our and our leadership style and disposition emerges from who we are and the context that we're in, and and over life, we all all of us as humans evolve. And what's really interesting about that is there are some actually quite common patterns in terms of how we evolve and the sort of roles that we play. And if you think about it, more junior roles, typically in organizations, we tend to have you know, professional tasks or jobs to do. We're reporting to a manager. And our leadership roles might be more around how do we get those tasks done. They tend to be shorter term in Horizon and they tend to be better defined. And so the leadership is more about you know, delivering an output. At the completely other end of the spectrum, you know, leading a multinational corporation or a role I have now in a, in a national type role, dealing with very diverse audiences, we're dealing with issues or challenges that there for which there is no right answer, there is no right output. It's all shades of grey, and that the leadership style that's effective there is very very different. And so really from, you know, between those two bookends, there's a real development process about where we think about leading tasks to leading people. And then, you know, I think at the most senior level, it's about leading evolution of ideas. Mm. Um, Because if you think about it, and this sort of, it's it's one of these things I think is a powerful idea is um, everything around us, with the exception of nature, is a human construct. Mm-hmm. You know, the economy is not real. It's 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 a manifestation of an idea. Um, a twenty dollar note that we share, we it's only like a a fraction of a cent's worth of plastic, but you and I share it as twenty dollars because we buy into the idea. And so, leadership, I think, particularly today at a really pivotal time in human history, is actually about evolving the ideas from which our choices and actions emerge. So good. So deep uh, for our podcast. I love it. It's going from task to people <laughs> to ideas. And I, I think that's a fantastic framework to think about it in. When you're, you know, you've gone from an engineering background to then yeah. into these leadership roles. And I think this can be something I personally found really challenging is as an engineer, I want to really focus on the task and it can be hard to let go to give that away to other people to start to influence things more than to control it and and we work with a lot of first-time leaders who are are navigating that first step have you got any advice for people to go through those transitions from tasks to people and to people to ideas so i mean i'll just sort of give two broad areas of advice i think i think the first one is at the end of the day leadership is really about um, enabling change through others. Um, if you have no followers or no participants, then there's not much leading going on. Um, and so the critical thing there is, as much as understanding the task, it's actually understanding the people. And I had some, um, even as an undergraduate, I had an excellent mentor uh, who, he actually ran a, ran a leadership and management course. And of course, this course was nothing like any of us expected. Um, and it was all, it was all, it wasn't about, you know, the management theory. It was all about people. It was all about us. And one of the best pieces of advice he gave me as an undergraduate, which I took into my first professional role, was um, read the room. 
know, I said, take time out in any meeting just to sit back a little, zone out a little bit from the content of the conversation and observe the people and observe the dynamics, read the body language. And I think that's a really important step in development, which is how do I understand people? Mm. And so that's that would be one aspect of us. The other aspect is, you know, true for everything. Just keep learning. Yeah. Because as you continue to learn and enrich your knowledge and evolve your perspective um, and and define challenge, that is really important to developing yourself and therefore your leadership perspective and potential. Reading the room is such an interesting one. And I've certainly experimented with that myself as well, you know, doing speaking or yeah, being in a, often if I'm the only female in the room, you know, I might think differently from if there's, you know, a room full of men. And it's interesting, I think, to sometimes test, is this what people are thinking? So, you know, sometimes during a speech, I might say, you know, who, 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 you know, who agrees to this or who's had this experience? And I might get people to raise hands or kind of just kind of test it and sound out some of those theories. And sometimes I'm completely wrong, which I also find fascinating because then I go, oh, wow, I was so off with that. I wonder why that is. And that kind of, you know, depending if I'm on a stage or if I'm in a small meeting, can engage in that conversation. Um, Have you got any advice around how you'd actually test the reading the room or because I feel like that's such a a learnt skill it's not something that we get trained in really like I didn't yeah. go to engineering school or most universities aren't going to teach that it's great that you had that um role model to teach you that while you were having that um experience while studying but yeah have you got any advice around how people can test that out look I think doing exactly what you said ask questions you know be be open to asking questions in fact you know I argue one of the most powerful tools you have in your arsenal uh, not just as a leader, but as a contributor to in, in any sort of, you know, work setting, is a powerful question. And um, powerful questions normally start with why, what, or how. You know, they're not can we do X or can we do Y. It's you know, how would we know when we've been successful? And and you get and a powerful question is honoured by silence, <laughs> because yeah. people go, you know, the response to that is. That's a good question. And I'm going to sit and think about that for a moment. But it also shows, it shows an interest in others. It shows a respect for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a way of, um, of creating an environment in which others can bring the best of themselves. So it's, it's a soft and yet can actually be a really powerful leadership technique. Um, but the other thing is, and I'm constantly, I'm constantly humbled and reminded by this of when you, it, you anticipate how you're going to find a person, what you expect of a person, and they constantly surprise you. And I, you know, I just, I, I'm a slow learner. I just, this just kept being beaten into me. It's people constantly surprised. And I think being, um, you know, really open to that and being, being welcoming, being surprised by people. There's so much untapped potential, I think, within within people. So, you know, I think being able to connect with people, be have, show empathy be engaged is a very powerful and useful leadership trait. Absolutely. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but have you got any go-to questions that you like to use? Because I, I totally agree. I think having great questions to ask people can, and really being, I think, as well as asking the question, being open to receiving that surprise or delight in how people respond and being genuine in that. Yeah. I think that intent is very important. But yeah, have you got any go-to questions that you ask to really um, get that out of people? 
Look, I can think of a few, but actually as a, as a practice, as, and if you're developing this, I actually recommend people collect questions. So if you know you take your notebook while we're meeting and you take your notes on the meeting, but actually as you, if you hear a good question, you know flip it to the back of your notebook and write it down. So just collecting those ones that make you pay attention and go, that's a great question, um, helps you to hone your own ability to ask really good questions. But they could be things like, um, you know, who would disagree with us and why would that be the case? Mm-hmm to actually invite, legitimately invite a difference of opinion. And, but we'll also say, what would, you know, what would they say, but why? To try and develop some insight as to what would be the rationale for that. Another one could be, what's the most useful question we should ask ourselves now? Well, it's a good one. Like... So, you know, in that sense of what's useful, it's not what's right or wrong. And it's not what's best, it's what's useful. So that's a much more nuanced and layered idea to get mm-hmm. people to think about, you know, what 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 is a powerful question? And in fact, in some board work uh, with a board I've been sitting on, helping them to think strategically, sensing that there was a perhaps a difference in the room around where our emphasis would be, we just did some question storming in terms of brainstorming questions. And so what that allowed was everyone to share the questions they thought were really important to ask. Nobody lost any face, but people could start to see, oh, there's really interesting differences in these questions. Some seem to be higher level and some seem to be more or lower level. And the group just naturally concluded that it wasn't really useful to look at the lower level or more detailed questions before we'd answered some of the bigger questions. And so just even allowing people to unearth those questions. Again, so there's, that was a leadership choice of inviting people to even share the questions that they had. Yeah. I'm noticing and listening to you speaking is there's those, for me, I've got such a pull to knowing the answer to things. And I don't know if that's my engineering background or, you know, just how I think. And those questions are going, oh yeah, what is useful? Or even like, you know, what's the highest and best use right now? And I know constantly in a business or when I've led not-for-profits where you've got volunteers, you can't, you just don't have the resources to deliver. And that's really where strategy comes in to be so important. And yep. I'm noticing as you're sharing some of those questions, it's getting me to stop and think and even notice what some of my biases are in how I'm thinking through the solution already before I even stop to ask the question. Yes. So have you found them to be helpful in other ways, like developing strategy, noticing those biases? It kind of just sounds, it sounds like it just really interrupts people's ordinary ways of thinking as well. It, it does, absolutely. And I think so that's, that's where I suppose the other thing about a question is it's not, um, it's not confronta- if, it's, if it's asked legitimately, it's not confrontational. So for example, um, if you th- and actually if you think about it, um, there's a really good um, concept around discussion and dialogue called generative dialogue. And basically, there's a there's a basic model that says, you know, when we come into a room as a group of people to work together, we have what we call basically polite conversation. You know, we're talking about the weather, we're talking about football. It's, it's just something that's light and fluffy. And then at some point in the meeting, we get down to business and we sort of have what's more almost a tactical discussion. It's backwards and forwards and sometimes we'll be waiting for a space of silence to say what we want to say. And potentially when when that discussion gets really serious, there might be moments of conflict. And what very often happens is we actually revert to polite. So, you know, Mary and, and 
I'm in a, having a having a bit of a debate here. Let's uh, what would we do? I go, let's take that offline, or let's assign some tasks and come back to that. And so, in a way, in different ways, a leader in that sense can sometimes avoid the conflict. And yet, actually, the most important to do is to sustain the tension and to learn through the conflict. And that's where your questions are really important because you're not saying you wouldn't, it would be really unfair, particularly around complex issues, to say, well, who's right here? Because who can know who's right? You know, there's too much probably going on. So if I was in that conflict situation, I might say, well, if I'm Ahmed and saying to Mary, look, you know, I could say, well, I don't agree with you. That maybe more usefully it is, uh, it's not clear to me how you arrived at that conclusion. Can you help me understand? And if that's expressed authentically, mm. then everyone learns. Because you know the number of times you ask to explain something, you go, it's really easy, and then go, oh, how do I, so how do I explain that? No. I used to kind of be sneaky and make me think back to one of my very early roles where I was a project manager, and um, I was working at a local council, and I had to say, and go, oh gosh, how am I going to get people to buy into this idea from the designer or whoever it was? And I'd say, yeah. how could I explain this to the public? Can you tell me how I could justify this to the local resident? And so then it was, it wasn't so much, I was the bad guy. It was making the local resident the bad guy. And it opened up that conversation to talk through and have them justify their thinking. And it wasn't me saying, oh, this is a bad idea. I'd almost kind of play a bit dumb sometimes to go, oh, it, like to open up that discussion. And I found that was helpful. So kind of, yep. yeah. And we make so many assumptions too. You know, we we project our expectations onto people and particularly in roles. You know, if somebody is working in the Environment Protection Authority and you're trying to progress a major project, you know, we project this expectation that they're, you know, dare I say, lefty greenies who, you know, and well, actually, I mean, they care about the environment. Invariably, that's been my experience. But actually, they have to follow regulations. They want you just to follow the regs, you know. And so, so often our conversations and our engagement, whether it's with people we're leading or people we're interacting with, are laden with assumptions. And it's really more constructive ultimately just ask some questions. Absolutely. Another one I do love is um, opening up meetings if it's with a new mentor or with someone who's agreed to give time to me that I might not have engaged with much saying thanks so much for agreeing to this meeting I'm really love to know why you said yes yeah. and that can really help go oh okay these are the things that are important to them mm -hmm. and it can help guide my conversation because I think I've gone to so many meetings particularly with really senior leaders and I've got my list of questions and then I've I've asked that and it's thrown them all out and gone yeah. okay that is not even relevant to this discussion now and being open to adapting and changing um and you made me go, I'm going to go rethink my podcast questions now because I've why and how's in there um, to get some different thinking. So thank you for those tips, Nick. That's great. Um, and I'm going to throw this one back at you now because you've really got me thinking about questions. What do you think would be, is it, is it nosing now instead of what question, uh, what do you think would be most useful for people listening to this podcast, wanting to get in, you know, into leadership roles? What do you think would be most useful for them? in this big, you know, huge topic of leadership that we're talking about. Mm, that's, a, that's a good, so there you go. I'm, I'm honouring with that silence. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about it. So, look, I think thinking about evolve, so if, you, if we think about how we evolve as leaders well, and, and the reality is that's tightly connected to how we evolve as people. Mm. 
then a leader typically to be useful to the people they're leading needs to be able to shed light on the context in which they're operating, which will invariably be a bit more complex uh, than the team is working out. And and that's that's important because actually in order for an organisation to be effective and not almost for there to be people treading on each other's toes in terms of their roles, some level of separation in that is useful. So, but that creates a that creates a, a, a tension, and the tension there is that the, the the leader engaging the group that they're leading, whether that's their direct reports or whether it's even a virtual team. There's a in theory, there's almost a bit of a disconnect in knowledge. Mm. And so it's the leader's responsibility to be able to connect with people where they're at. And I experienced this painfully uh, sort of mid-career, where I was I I could see this picture. I could see some issues evolving, or I could see how these things would play out. I felt really strongly about them, and I shared them with um basically a peer of mine and my general manager of a business unit, a global business unit. They listened really thoughtfully. They asked great questions. And then they said to me, we have no idea what you're talking about. And I was really, but they said, but we trust you. Like we know you, we trust you. We just have no idea what you're talking about. And it was a really confronting moment. I remember it vividly to this day because I realized on reflection my the work I had to do was to find a way to connect what I was seeing with where they were at in terms of their knowledge bases and points of connection. That's the that's the work, and it doesn't mean that a leader always has to, if you like. And this sounds a little bit patronising, but I'm just being objective. Sort of elevate everyone's thinking to the same level. It means you've just got to work out how to convey it in ways that you that people are able to engage with and do something with it, and that's part of those different levels of leadership. So, but then how do you create this? How do you create a gap to allow you as a leader to evolve through leadership roles? And that's where I sort of you constantly use this phrase of being comfortably uncomfortable. So what the behavioural science and the neuroscience shows is that we all inhabit sort of levels of thinking and that at different points in time, and all of our journeys are slightly different, but the levels across a human population are common, is that we tend to go up a level. And, and so the difference in the levels is interesting, but the question is, so what takes us up the level? Mm. And the reality is it's challenge. But it's challenge like when we move from one role to another and we find as we move to role, we move to a context, it might be into a different cultural setting where we feel completely out of our depth. And what happens at that point is the only thing we have to rely on is what we used to do. So what happens, and it can sometimes take a long while or it can be quite quick, is we go back to those behaviours and ways of thinking and invariably go, that doesn't work either. And it's at that moment we have to genuinely learn our way forward. And what happens at that point is our brains physiologically change. And so we we actually become more cognitively complex and we become equipped to do higher levels of work. So challenge 
is phenomenally powerful for us in terms of our evolution and therefore the way we lead and from where we lead. So being comfortably uncomfortable, always feeling a bit challenged is really good for us. Well, I'm glad you said it's good for me because I'm going through this right at the moment and I feel like we're growing in our business, which is really exciting, but there's a whole bunch of new skills that um, I'm learning and is beyond what I've done before. And um, my business partner keeps telling me, what got you there won't get you here, which is hilarious because I used that in a coaching call the other day and I was telling this leader, okay, you know, this past experience that you've had and I experienced this when I went from being an engineer to being a project manager for the first time time where I was really focused on the engineering piece of the project and I, it was my comfort zone. I really wanted to, yeah. you know, okay, good. I get the engineering design. I can talk to the designers, put aside kind of the budget, the program. And then I actually did a project management course. It sounds so simple, but getting the language to talk about mm, a project yeah. was really powerful. And so I then went, oh, okay, I've got to, you know, the engineering stuff, great. There's some helpful things in there around problem solving, et cetera. Uh, I definitely am not going to say chuck out the engineering, but I needed to rethink or relearn, unlearn a bunch of engineering stuff, get in that mindset of the project manager. And again, I'm going through that exact same experience now um, with a whole bunch of business skills um, that I haven't had to do before. And I do love a challenge. It is also very frustrating because I want to be good at it and I'm definitely practicing a lot right now. And I can really feel that, you know, that step of, okay, I've really got to stop thinking the way that I've been thinking and um, I'm developing that muscle in that new area. It's hard. Yeah, it is. And look, let me, you know, you asked me a question when we were talking um, at some stage before about, you know, what was some of the best piece of advice I've received? And the most profoundly useful and generous advice I was ever given was by the chairman of the board for the business I was working for at the time. And I had a global role. I was just going into a global role. And he said something to me. He said, if you don't take a day a week to yourself, can be you can go out on a boat if you want to. I don't care where you do it. But if you don't take a day a week to reflect and to think by yourself, I consider you're failing. Wow. And for me, for a variety of reasons, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, that sense of if you're not at work, you know, I almost just have this sort of almost this sense of guilt that you know if you're not there, there's this sense that you're not working, and that was such a gift because not only was it important in terms of evolving as a leader, he was saying, "I'm telling you, you're failing if you're not taking." And it wasn't saying time; it wasn't meaning don't work. It was mean reflection is really important to the way you lead to reflecting upon how you who you are as a person what you're doing how you're leading how you're connecting are you focusing on the right things um and i think that's particularly important the more senior roles you take the more important that becomes because the complexity of the work you're doing the complexity of the social and stakeholder environments greater you just need that time to be able to be effective I think that's such an, a great a great point that you make and it's something I really try to do myself. I feel like this podcast has turned into coaching Felicity out. One of our previous episodes of Tanya, she was giving me all this advice. I'm writing notes, so thanks to all our listeners. Well, I'll yeah. send the bill through, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> but Felicity's personal coaching calls is, you know, the podcast. Um, and 
you know, I, you know, I, I, I totally agree with the reflecting and that's something, again, we get our leaders in our programs to do. It's hard though. It's hard carving mm. out that time to really like even putting our phones away. They're atta- like so attached to us these days. Have you got any advice on how to do that? For me, it's, you know, I, I love to get out into nature. We have a, a beach morning um, on Saturday mornings. I mean, my husband will often do our reflection and thinking, but yeah, have you got any advice around how to actually create that time? So look, I think um, you know. Yes, there's what we what we do know is that earlier in the day, all of us think better because our brains are less tired. So if you're going to do deeper work, do it the beginning of the day. Um, but the other thing is, that it's got to work for people. So it's got to work in your routine. So for me, that might have been, well, you know, I used to get to work early at about seven o'clock because it just worked for me in terms of traffic and my, you know, family. But then it might be that, yes, I would get into the city at seven, but I wouldn't work in, walk into the office until nine. And I might take two hours, get a cup of coffee, sit somewhere nice, nice environment, and that's where I do some thinking. And I think the other thing, though, is, at the end of the day, this is just a choice. Everything we do is a choice. And the question is, do you want to make that choice or not? And if you don't want to make that choice, what are you prioritizing over that? And why? what assumptions are you making that that's more important? And I certainly have found when I gave myself the freedom, and, and this chair really helped that, to say, you know what, I'm going to stop feeling guilty about where I work and how I do it. It's all about, do I make a valuable contribution? Are we getting good outcomes? Everything changed. You know, yeah. just, I went from being a bit stuck to fantastic opportunities. You know, literally everything changed. Wow. And it can be in a moment, you know, when you have that insight yeah. and you act upon it. I feel like sometimes I get my best ideas on my runs, which is definitely not work time. And yeah. going out and being active is where, yeah, you, your brain's thinking differently. I'm not, you know, in front of a screen. I'm out there looking at the world. And um, my business partners, you know, just even this week, been encouraging me. He's like, "Go for a swim. Go to the beach. Like, yeah. spend some time. Like, you're going to have more ideas when you're out there in the world rather than just sitting in your office thinking. And changing your environment can be really powerful." Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the best books I've read this year is about sleep. And and what's and what is really powerful about that is it says, you know, basically on average we all need about eight hours sleep a night. And the first few hours on balance are more about clearing the brain with data and working out key data. And on the back half where we dream, it's about joining it together. And I think again, in terms of the more senior roles we have, you know, we celebrate people. I mean, look at the number of articles who celebrate the CEO who gets to work at 4 a.m. And I mean, it's insane. It might work for some rare individuals, but it is not what the science tells us is good for us generally. You know, and in fact, the opposite is true is you look at the people who are really effective, they're very thoughtful. Um, you know, they look after themselves. They get that time out, and that actually is one of the contributors and the fuel to their effectiveness. And so, this is so often there are all these sort of contradictions in what we do. We think if we work longer hours, we'll be more effective. Well, actually, probably no. You're probably you're probably undermining your career. You know. 
it's oh, it's, fa- it's fascinating because when we started talking about this topic just this week, right? Because I definitely needed to get rest because of our eight month old baby and the sleep thing is is not working. What I noticed that came up for me was I felt like I was lazy if I wasn't putting in the hours. And yeah. for me, like throughout my career, I'd I had this thing of I'd stay back at least one day a week in the consulting office, and it was almost to prove. I was worthy or to prove I was, I don't know, good enough or, well, they can't criticize me because I'm working all these hours, that kind of thing. Even though during the day I, I had definitely had big chunks of time where I was unproductive. Yeah. Um, and it's just noticing, interesting noticing those things that do come up that I have this association with, oh, I'm lazy if I'm not yet doing yes. all those crazy hours. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll go back to this chairman that I was um, working with before. He's he's a lovely individual. He's humble, um, and he's the sort of person we used to have these sort of two or three day strategy offsites. And Peter would rarely say much during those during those two or three days. And it might be once during the course of a couple of days he would say something, and what he would say would he would ask a question. And invariably, it stopped everyone in the room insofar as they just thought, that is a phenomenally good question. Like, why has Peter been the only person here who's seen that? And, but it wasn't, it wasn't a statement. You know, he was just asking. But the point was there was so much built into that question, so much insight, that that leadership contribution was huge. Now, the, the point I make to other people is, who are the people you want on your teams? Who are the people that you want working for you because they're just, they're clever and they're effective? Mm-hmm. In, you know, and it's people who, like Peter, who ask questions like that. So, you know, again, to be a really effective and successful and be some, I want you to lead this initiative because you're demonstrating an ability to think really cleverly about the nature of the challenge and what it might take is often reflected in the question. And you don't even need to be the most verbal person in the room. In fact, sometimes it's actually the complete opposite. Yeah. It's all the people who can actually stop and observe can really take yep. in all that information and then come back yes. with that really interesting question. Yep. I've actually heard a lot of um, women often talk about this as they say, oh, yeah, um, particularly if they're, if they're only female in the room, oh, we'll, we'll let... Um, you know, it could be for a whole bunch of different piece of diversity there. I'll let the people have the conversation. I'll not just wait at the end because they've, you know, discussed all the arguments and then they've come back with, oh, look, I've taken this all on board. And it actually can yep. be a really powerful way if you are in a minority, I think, to get your point across and to share that with people um, and, and take that ob- yep. observer perspective as well in, in a meeting. Have you found that as well has been helpful? Yeah, look, absolutely. And in fact, there's some really good, um, again, I, I'm... I, I'm very uh, evidence-based. I love, you know, looking into what supports um, certain views. And I think when you look from a diversity perspective, if you look around uh, a table, well, this is, you know, certainly the board tables for me, and that is uh, you need um, a sort of 40 or 50% of women in a room for it to be a significant enough proportion or conversely 40, 50% enough of men in a room for it to be noticeable as a difference to stop typically men from <laughs> assuming everyone thinks like me. Yeah. Um, but then women are very good at including others. You know, women are very good on the emotional intelligence side of things, of noticing um, and including and asking questions. 
Um, you know, ethnic or cultural diversity is really important because, again, it's a very visible cue when I look across the room and I go, well, you don't look like me, therefore I'm more inclined to assume maybe you don't think like me. Mm. Um, but the most powerful d difference is actually cognitive diversity. It's different ways of thinking. Uh, that actually is the most um, measured, most powerful differentiator in productivity of the lot. Now, that can come with those different um, cohorts. Mm. Um, but but certainly you know that's a real that's a real driver. But I personally tend to think that when you look at the again the behavioural science neuroscience, there's actually I think some cues there to suggest that women will be increasingly effective in the most senior roles mm -hmm. because of that disposition to not you know seeing a challenge, wanting to jump into it, and not and being more open innately open and again I'm making a broad statement here you know the sort of bell curves around all of this but as a broad statement I think women are being we uh, have a tendency to probably be better predispositioned to be able to take on some of these roles and I think it's why we're seeing in some of our complex leadership roles we are seeing women um, not only being given the opportunity but being very very effective mm -hmm. So much in what you're saying. I feel like we could talk for another hour, but we are fastly running out of time. And I just wanted to touch on a couple. I'm just like, oh, which question am I going to choose before we wrap up? Um, one thing I'm loving about this whole conversation of questions is I feel like it gives a really level playing field to everyone in the room. It really, um, you know, debunks a lot of that. It could be tension, like you said, but it, it ha can have everyone be included if, if there's a genuine question to yep. be asked. And one thing I'm often asking myself is how do we motivate that emerging leader, you know, then that next generation into leadership? Uh, as you know, that's part of my PhD topic, which you are very kindly helped me on as well. And you know, I think there's a lot of untapped potential in people where they don't see themselves as a leader, but they have so much potential. You know, is asking questions a strategy that you've used to help draw that out of people or is there other things you'd recommend for senior leaders and organisations to get that diverse talent, um, to get people who they could really see that potential in leadership come to the fore? Yes, that, look, it's an excellent question and I've tussled with it a little because the certainly I see a lot of really impressive um, younger uh, leaders and so I think the motivation to lead and the inclination to lead is absolutely there. What I do, but then I think there's what I always call small L and big L leadership. So there's the small L leadership that everyone can do. At different points in time, people will step up and contribute and ask questions and play a leadership role. And then there's almost those structural leadership roles, which doesn't actually mean that the people in those roles are effective as leaders, you know, that they're using structural power. And I, I think what I've seen in a number of settings where we've invited people to think about what's the work they're doing, what's the most useful thing to be doing, how do we create high-value outcomes and experiences by design. When you invite people into spaces to think more creatively about what it is they're doing, all of a sudden, these people just blossom. And it can be somebody who's 20, and I've seen somebody who's 65. I've had a, a guy called Norm, who was working with us on a project, 
He literally didn't sleep all night. We came back in the morning and there was this massive collage across this wall. Everyone's going, what that? I said, I don't know. And Norm comes in and he's on fire and he hasn't slept. And, and, and he was leading. He was saying, this is what I'm imagining. This is how I can see it. I've been walking the streets, taking photographs. So I think there is this enormous untapped potential. And that could be both opened up by formal leaders, but can also be opened up by people at any level in asking questions that tap into innate motivation and purpose that we often ignore or squash or say, leave that at home. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential within people and, and probably, you know, in some of the challenge and challenging times we have, I think I see a lot of innate motivation, particularly within our younger cohorts to want to lead. And so as a more senior leader, my view is, um, you know, give them some broad parameters and then get out of the road because you'll yeah. be surprised at what people can achieve. I think it's such an exciting time too with the way you know technology is that there's such an access to new platforms that are you know just even look at AI in the last 12 months how that's radically changed and so we have access you know everyone has the same access because the technology is developing exactly in the same real time that we're all experiencing it and I think it's great to see that uh, intergenerational leadership happening um, as well it's a super exciting time I think there's so many amazing young leaders coming through and there's a lot of societal cultural norms around you know what is it to be a leader what does that look like for people yeah. um and those expectations around around what it is that can be some of those barriers to people stepping up into it yeah and look we said you know if we look at the people we celebrate you know as leaders i would suggest i think they're about halfway through a leadership journey you know it's 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 our um, you know, the dominant narratives and the sort of um, materialistic society celebrates those people who create big organisations. But, you know, we're very much in a state, and I could look to more, any of the big challenges facing Australia, whether it's around our defence capability, whether it's our energy transition and climate, um, no one organisation can solve those problems alone. Mm -hmm. We could have a whole series of businesses that are very profitable and very successful government agencies doing some great stuff, and we will not get the societal outcomes we need. So there's a level of collaboration required, and I actually argue that this is, we are now needing to evolve to a different style of leadership and to discover different ways of organizing ourselves. That is the great challenge of this time. And so technologically, we can do anything. You know, we really can. That's not the challenge. The challenge is to enable human progress. And so this discerning effective leadership um, and this highest level of leadership has never been more required. Completely agree. We're facing the, the big challenges around climate. There's so much to solve and, and so much to do. I think we do, you're right, we have the technology technology solutions it's around the people part of it that we that we absolutely need to get right yes. my last question for you is is there anything i haven't asked you that you'd want to share with people around this big topic of leadership that we've we've been talking about no look i i don't think there is other than to perhaps just put a full stop or and a bit of emphasis under to being an effective leadership is as much about leading self as leading others um, and that taps into that reflective piece, that learn, you know, ongoing learning, that um, making choices overtly about how you want to spend the time, 
about um, giving yourself a break now and then. Um, you know, that's really, I think that's really important. It's not always this external expression. So lead self and then you can lead others. I love that. And I'm going to finish our podcast with a question mark because I think the most valuable thing for me today has been all about asking the right questions and even asking myself those questions. You said reflection is really important, taking that time to stop and think. And that's really the best leadership advice I've ever got is from my amazing mentor, the late Elsa Shepard, who passed away earlier this year. And she said, a leader's job is to think. And I think that's been a really key theme of this podcast today is you know, one of those questions I could ask myself, what can I ask? Like, others what can I you know do to stop and think and make time to sleep and rest and and lead like you said lead yourself first before you go out and lead others thank you so much Nick this has been absolutely incredible you might have to come back for round two because I've got so many more ideas from this conversation so grateful you could fit this in I know you're super busy and you've got a lot on your plate so thank you for sharing your wisdom with our amazing audience that's been a great pleasure thanks for listening